Hey everyone, I'm Mo Shwenunu and you're listening to the Mo News Podcast. This is the place where we bring you just the facts from verified sources and a breakdown of what matters in the news. We read all the news and read between the lines so you don't have to. A quick heads up that we will have two editions of this podcast out today. Look out later today for an in-depth look at the revolution currently happening in Iran. I have a special interview with you with Reza Aslan. He's an expert and an author. Make sure you follow the show on your app right now so you don't miss that edition later today. With that, here is what we're watching on this Thursday, October 20th. President Biden is releasing more oil from our strategic reserve as gas prices go up and the number of days until the midterm elections goes down. Russia's leader, Vladimir Putin, has declared martial law in the areas he now occupies in Ukraine. I'll tell you what that means. We got new data on Wednesday looking at the link between COVID-19 and pregnancy mortality. I'll have those numbers. It comes as the FDA pulled a preterm drug off the market yesterday as well. There's a new lawsuit asking what the CIA knows and why it's still hiding details about the JFK assassination 60 years later. And then I'll have some good news and bad news for you if you're wondering why you're one of those people that always gets bitten up by mosquitoes. Count me in that group. I'll have that headline for you at the end of the podcast. But let's begin in Ukraine, where Putin declared martial law on Wednesday in four of the regions he illegally annexed last month. The move to declare martial law allows the pro-Russian authorities in those regions to impose even tighter restrictions. This comes as Russia is trying to hold back Ukraine's military advance. The move in those regions actually comes as Putin made another announcement uh, in regards to what's happening inside Russia. He's allowing regional governors inside Russia to implement wartime measures that will allow for even more restrictions, including keeping a lid on dissent in Russia. But back to that martial law decree, a reminder that he annexed Donetsk, Luhansk, Kherson, and Zaporizhia regions. Uh, it's been declared and condemned internationally as illegal. It comes as Russia has suffered weeks of setbacks on the battlefield, losing ground after occupying a good amount, nearly 20% of Ukraine in the early stages of the war. Ukraine has been fighting back. And so now the Russian military feels like it has to do more to control the territory it has left. As I understand it, martial law now allow the Russian authorities to impose curfews, seize property, imprison more people, establish checkpoints, and detain people for up to 30 days, as well as forcibly resettle residents to other regions. Honestly, some of this is what Russia's already been doing, but I guess this sort of makes it official. One of the things that this also potentially lets the Russians do is create civilian militias. But what this means, in essence, is that Russia may try to conscript Ukrainians, Ukrainians who live in the territories that the Russians occupy, into the Russian military to then fight against the Ukrainian army, essentially uh, conscript Ukrainians to fight against their fellow Ukrainians, which would be a very concerning development if we see that. Now to a couple headlines we saw on Wednesday in regards to maternal health. According to a new government report, COVID contributed to about a quarter of all maternal deaths in the first two years of the pandemic. They're looking back at 2020 and 2021. In particular, black pregnant women experienced a mortality rate that was nearly three times higher than white women. Overall, the report finds that pregnancy-related deaths have spiked nearly 80% since 2018, COVID-19 was a factor in about a quarter of the just under 1,200 deaths reported last year. The percentage of preterm and low birth weight babies also went up last year uh, after holding steady for a few years, according to the report, and that comes as more pregnant 
and postpartum women are reporting symptoms of depression. We learned these details from the U.S. Government Accountability Office, the nonpartisan group that authored it. They were responding to a congressional mandate that it review maternal health outcomes over the course of the past couple of years. Already going into COVID, the maternal death rate in the U.S. is higher than many other developed nations around the world and had been on the rise in the years leading up to the pandemic. But now, unfortunately, COVID-19 is only worse in conditions here in the U.S. for pregnant women uh, and making things even worse than they already were versus women in Europe. That report comes as we got another headline related to maternal and child health on Wednesday. The FDA is pulling a preterm birth drug from the market. It's called Makina and was actually out there for about 11 years. It came after uh, the FDA actually fast-tracked the drug back in 2011. The quick approval from Makina back 11 years ago was widely viewed as a test of the FDA's accelerated approval program, uh, but it has turned out that after uh, subsequent testing, they found that the drug actually didn't help at all. This is actually the first time in more than a decade that the FDA uh, is going to force a drug maker to stop selling a fast-track product. Makina is the only drug that has been approved to forestall preterm birth. Uh, there's been very emotional appeals to the FDA to keep it out there. That's despite evidence that apparently it did no better uh, to prevent uh, newborns than a placebo. According to the CDC, one in every 10 U.S. infants uh, in 2020 was born premature. As far as this drug is concerned, the company said that about 350,000 U.S. women have taken it in the past decade. But again, uh, after subsequent study following the fast track, it's no better than a placebo. That now means that there officially is no drug on the market currently to prevent preterm birth. As we continue the countdown to midterm elections and uh, Biden and the White House try to pull out all the stops to try to ensure Democrats can keep their majority in Congress, on Wednesday, the president released 15 million barrels of oil from the U.S. Strategic Reserve and apparently is considering additional withdrawals this winter. What Biden's trying to do here is tell voters, I haven't given up. Uh, I'm still out there trying to uh, fix uh, the high price of gasoline with the uh, few things the White House can actually do. Notably, the White House says politics has nothing to do with the latest action. It's just about uh, helping people. But of course, this has clear political implications. It turns out if you look at a chart here, uh, and I'll post it on Instagram, it turns out his approval rating goes up every time gas prices go down, and his approval rating goes down every time gas prices goes up. I should also note here that every time prices go up, uh, Biden and the White House blame Russia and Ukraine. Anytime, though, there is a decline in gas prices, the president attributes it to his own policies. Um, so, you know, there's a lot of funny business here. So I'm just trying to cut through the lines for you when it comes to Washington. The White House and the president is limited in terms of what can be done for the price of oil overall as a global market, supply and demand, etc. But of course, many voters uh, see that as they drive by every day, as they fill up their tanks. And so oftentimes political decisions, who you're voting for, is based on gas prices. As far as where we're at right now, the price of gas averages about $3.85 per gallon right now, nationally, obviously higher or lower, depending where you are. That is up from a year ago when it was $3.35, so up about 50 cents, and up uh, more than $1.40 from the $2.40 a gallon that we saw during Biden's inaugural back in early 2021. Overall, President Biden has released 180 million barrels from the Strategic Reserve. Uh, this is our basically our safety net of oil uh, that we have for rainy days, if you will. This 15 million barrel announcement, by the way, accounts for about less than one day of what we use. You can drop this fact on your friends today. The U.S. typically uses 20 million barrels of oil a day uh, to propel our economy. 
Staying with President Biden here for this next story, it turns out the fate of his student loan forgiveness plan might already be in the hands of the Supreme Court just days since that application went live for about the 40 million Americans who are eligible for some aspect of student loan forgiveness. The Supreme Court on Wednesday was asked to block the program. This request comes from the Brown County Taxpayers Association uh, that's based in Wisconsin, for those unfamiliar. A federal judge in Wisconsin earlier this month dismissed that Taxpayers Association, saying they didn't have legal standing to block the plan, so they kept appealing. And they appealed to an intermediate appeals court, which declined to halt the ruling. And so now they're going to the next step, right? They're going to the Supreme Court. Since Wisconsin falls in the Seventh Circuit of the uh, appellate courts, we have numbered circuits in this country, several states in each circuit. Uh, Wisconsin is in the Seventh Circuit, and the Supreme Court justices each have jurisdiction over uh, a couple of those circuits. It turns out the Seventh Circuit uh, belongs, the appeal uh, goes to Justice Amy Coney Barrett, who oversees that circuit. She's responsible for handling emergency application requests. So she will make a decision uh, on how to rule here, uh, whether she makes a rule independently or uh, suggests that the entire Supreme Court take up the matter. Okay, I saw an interesting study yesterday in regards to climate change and how young people around the world are reacting to it. This was published in the Journal of Environmental Psychology. It studied the effects of climate change on young people around the world, actually 12,000 university students in 32 countries. They want to know how climate change makes young people feel in each of these countries, in particular, how it affects their mental health. No surprise here, the study found that anxiety over climate change was hurting young people's mental health in 31 of the 32 countries surveyed. But the study also found that climate change-related anxiety had some positives. In the study, anxiety around the impacts of climate change was linked to pro-environmental behavior, like cycling instead of driving, choosing not to fly, or not purchasing unneeded new clothing. They found that in 24 of the 32 countries. In particular, they found more environmental activism in 12 of the countries. That's Australia, Brazil, Finland, Germany, Italy, the Netherlands, Norway, Oman, Portugal, Spain, the UK, and Russia. If you heard your country there, that is where more environmental activism is happening related to climate change. Incidentally, the strongest link between climate anxiety and activism occurred in Finland. The country that showed the weakest connection between anxiety and actually doing something about it was China. Two other notable things I found, Spain had the most survey takers who reported feeling very or extremely worried about climate change, about 77% of young people in Spain, three out of four, whereas in Russia, young people there appear to be the least concerned about climate change, less than 10% of responders in Russia, only one out of 10 said they're extremely worried about climate change. That makes sense, of course. Uh, Spain saw particularly bad wildfires and heat this summer, whereas in Russia right now, uh, they might be looking at climate change positively, potentially, as uh, temperatures start to get warmer up there. Okay, now to another story we've been following on this podcast. This is in relation to the papers that still have not been released about the JFK assassination. We are nearly 60 years from it. Actually, this November will mark 59 years since the assassination. The country's largest online resource of JFK assassination records is suing President Biden and the National Archives to force the federal government to release all remaining documents that still are classified nearly 60 years later. It's called the Mary Farrell Foundation. They filed the federal lawsuit on Wednesday this comes one year after Biden issued a memo, again postponing the final trove of 16,000 records 
related to the assassination. There's actually a law in the books. It's called the JFK Records Act. It was signed by President Bill Clinton back in the 90s. It required that all documents related to the assassination be released by October of 2017. But under the direction of the CIA, it turns out in 2017, President Trump delayed the release uh, a couple times. He kicked the can to President Biden. President Biden last year had a chance again to release the papers based on that 2017 deadline, and he pushed it back again. What are they still holding back? This was actually the subject of a podcast I had on September 14th with Jefferson Morley. He's a GFK assassination records expert. I will link to it in the show notes, but you can head back into the show archive. September 14th, we dive deep into the JFK assassination. Now, it's hard to say what the CIA is still holding back here. Most experts believe that we're not going to find that there was another shooter in relation to Lee Harvey Oswald, but what they might shed light on is all the links between Lee Harvey Oswald and the CIA. It turns out JFK had a lot of enemies in the government, especially after backing down in the Cuban Missile Crisis, losing the Bay of Pigs. Specifically at the Pentagon, at the CIA, there were a number of people who did not like JFK. So what they could show is more contacts between the CIA and Lee Harvey Oswald uh, while he was in Russia, after Russia, etc., and potentially a rogue plot among some CIA agents to have Kennedy killed. Because why else, 60 years later, would they still be classifying these documents? Anyway, that last part was a bit of speculation on my end, but I think you will find, if you're interested in this subject, my September 14th podcast with Jefferson Morley looking into JFK. A really interesting listen. Okay, so I want to end here with some good news and bad news. If mosquitoes eat you up all summer just like me, So the good news, scientists think they may know why you may be more prone to mosquito bites than your neighbor or family members. The bad news, there's still not much you can do about it. So this comes to us from a brand new paper published on October 18th in the journal Cell. Researchers suggest that certain body odors are the deciding factor for mosquitoes. Every person has a unique scent profile made up of different chemical compounds. And the researchers found that mosquitoes were most drawn to people whose skin produces high levels of what are called carboxylic acids. The scientists found a pattern. The most attractive subjects, attractive in the mosquito bite sense, tended to produce greater levels of carboxylic acids from their skin, while the least attractive subjects produced much less. Now, carboxylic acids are commonplace organic compounds. All humans produce some of these acids. They sit on the oily layer that coats our skin. Uh, They help keep our skin moisturized and protected. And it actually turns out that humans release more carboxylic acids than animals, though the amount does vary from person to person. The bad news right now is that we don't know what you can really do about carboxylic acids. And what they tried to look at in the study was what can be done? Can you change your diet? What food you're eating? Can you change what soap you're using? They said this over a few months, and they found that unfortunately for, uh, again, for those of you who get eaten up by mosquitoes, that it didn't matter what you ate, it didn't matter what soap you used or what scent you had. The scientists do say that they were able to learn some interesting things that'll lead them to some follow-up studies. But unfortunately for now, if you get eaten up by mosquitoes, uh, the message from this study and from the scientists is good luck for now, Uh, stay indoors. I'd like to thank everyone for listening to the Mo News Podcast. Your follows, reviews, and recommendations matter. Please tell everyone you know about the show, and please make sure you have followed and reviewed Mo News on the platform you're listening to us on right now. And please leave us a review. Every review matters and helps us continue to grow the program. Thanks again for listening to the Mo News Podcast.